first part about just individual maturity. And there's so much in each of those um, levels that we've been talking about or realms rather than levels, uh, you know, where we say the church, God is making ready his bride so that she'd be without spot or wrinkle. That's a big task. <laughs> Thank God it's up to him to make that happen. <laughs> He's making ready his bride so that she'd be without spot or wrinkle. And hearing that growing up and in my life, I always wondered, well, how? You know, how is that going to work? What does that even look like? Do we just pray for that to happen? Is it going to be in an instant that all of a sudden we're just ready? You know, he's just going to do something, um, which he could. But as I was thinking about it more, I was thinking about, and I've said this every single week, the global church being made up of many local churches, right? We're all one body. The global Big C Church is one gigantic worldwide family. And that's pretty amazing because there's people all over the globe who love Jesus and are giving their lives for him. And we, we do have to step back to keep that in mind. Otherwise, we get so tunneled visioned on me and my own life and my own Christian walk. And we forget that there are hundreds of thousands, millions, millions of people around the globe giving their lives to Jesus and more every day because they're encountering the king of all kings. And these groups of people are typically, many are not right now, but are in local church families. We're all part of the church once we get saved, so it's interesting because of our culture that we've so separated church to be a building or a location. It's, I, I, I believe, a tactic of the enemy <laughs> to really... Um, detach ourselves from the church but the truth is you get saved you are part of the church you can't separate yourself from the body right the lord said the scriptures say we're all part of one body many parts making up one body you can't say well i don't like the church <laughs> you know they the church hurt me it's like well that's your family i'm sorry they they may have hurt you but you can't separate yourself from them and say, I'm going to just do this on my own. That's not the design. That's not what we were saved into. We weren't saved into being loners, Christians. We were saved into a family, the family of God. And that's a wonderful, amazing thing. So the, the global church are all these local church communities meeting together. And these local church communities, how are they going to get help healthy? And the local church communities are made up of families. And families need to be healthy in order for the church family to be healthy. So many times we've thought of church health as, well, how many supernatural healings are happening every week? Well, that's the fruit of health, for sure. It's not the root of it. How are you going to function in that? How are those things going to happen? Well, the root of that is me coming into my identity, walking confidently as a son or a daughter of the living God, knowing who I am, and that permits me to walk in humility. That reality, that revelation permits me to walk fully in humility. Um, so the question in my, my rolling in my spirit today and throughout this week was, can you be or become a mature believer outside a church community? Can you be or can you become a mature believer outside church community what do you think huh did you say oh 
Yeah, yeah, if, if anyone has an answer, what do you think? First thoughts, can you become a mature believer outside a church family? No. Hmm. So, believes it possible, but very difficult for it to happen. Others saying, I don't think so. No. So you can have encounters with God, but not grow relationally. So that's a no. Right. Yeah. So that would be my belief as well, just that you cannot be mature because Scripture clearly states what a mature believer is, and it's not outside community. None of the um, aspects of maturity as a believer is outside church family. And that's a, that's a big thing. That's a big reality because there are so many outside the church family right now and, and believe that they can just, hey, I can have my walk with the Lord and I'm a Christian. Well, you might be saved. I have no doubt that you can be saved and have encounters with God and have certain, you know, relational growth with God. But it's like that first analogy the first week I, I shared or second week you know, all of us think that we're really mature, then you get married. And all the stuff gets out, what comes out. Well, why? Because the relationship. The relationship shows you how immature you actually are <laughs> and how many areas you need to grow, right? So, yeah, I believe many believers think you can, they can be mature outside a church family. Put them inside a church family and let's see how they do guaranteed i can 100 percent guarantee you they get placed in a church family and all that stuff comes to the top because that's what the bible says we sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron we need each other to keep stable the community is is yeah it's soup it's definitely um a protective thing it's it's strengthening, it's grounding us. But uh, like Stu was saying too, everything that f talks about maturity, it's in relationship. Uh, you just search it out yourself when it's talking about growth, our walk with God. Even so much about our walk with God is about community and how we're living that out in community. This isn't about you know, head knowledge, oh, I have all this knowledge of the Bible. Well, that was the Pharisees. They had tons of knowledge of the Bible. Were they mature? No. They were lacked discernment. They were the people that Jesus rebuked the most in the New Testament. Head knowledge and having um, facts because <laughs> we grew up in the church does not make us mature. Uh, it's what's lived out, and that's what sound doctrine is. You guys hear me say this all the time. Sound doctrine is only sound if it's lived out in our lives. It's only sound if it's lived out in our lives. The reason being that very word doctrine, which is in the Bible, and it's called, the Greek word is didache. It means that when you see the words, the faith, the deposit, the teaching, that they we're going to be grounded in the faith, grounded in the teaching, passing on the deposit. It's all the same word, didache. 
And that word didache is sound doctrine or sound teaching. But what it actually means in depth is a way, a new way of life. In its very meaning is not just I know the, the right things to say or what the Bible says. It's I'm, I know it and it's transforming me from the inside out and I'm living that very thing out in my life. And the early church knew this. It was not confusing to them. It wasn't, yeah, like, I, oh, I get it. I can become a Christian and I just want to do it on my own. <laughs> no, they became saved and they were excited to join the church community and start being transformed in community, living out their faith together with the family. It would be completely absurd to the early church believers to get saved and not get connected with every Christian in your town. Because it was a new thing, like, oh my gosh, this is it, this, he has come, let's get connected. This is what we need, we need the body, we need the family. We've come so far from that because we've made church a location that we come to on Sundays for two hours. And because that's what we think church is, then that means, well, of course I can be a Christian without a two-hour service on Sunday, right? That makes sense. I would say yes to that. Can you be saved without the, the church, the real meaning of the church? Absolutely not. You need to be part. You are part. Once you're saved, you are part. They're not separate things. And our mind, our paradigm, and our lens has to shift individually when we see this because it will shift the way that we interact, the way we involve ourselves, the way that we grow. If we're saying that, hey, I don't think you can really become mature outside the church community, well, that means inside the church community we're, we're going to be maturing together, sharpening one another, rubbing against each other, maybe the right and the wrong ways to bring out some of that gold that's there to grow in love with one another, to grow in unity, to grow in faith. So if that's the way to maturity, well, what do we got to do? Fellowship with one another. It's about relationship. This whole thing is about relationship. It's we're taking out this, kicking out that religious spirit, kicking out tradition in the, in the negative sense of the word, to say, yeah, it's not even what this is about. It's about relationship, growing in relationship with one another, even conflict to produce what's good. Learning how to fight well. I mean, that's how what you do in marriage too, right? You learn to have disagreements well. Because you're going to have disagreements. Learning to communicate through those disagreements. Learning how to function when there's tension. But because, the because we don't look at the church as a family, we don't have that paradigm, when there's conflict or tension, you can just leave and go to the church down the road. The church down the road. Our paradigm is so wonky, right? Um, and uh, So these are some of the thoughts that are going through my head. I think of uh, Hebrews 5, verses 13 through 14, and then into 6, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews, I have my thoughts on who it is, but it's not a determined person, um, says, For everyone who continues to feed on milk 
is obviously, okay, no, actually, I'm going to start in verse 12. For even though by this time you ought to be teaching others, you actually need someone to teach you over again the first principles of God's word. You have come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who continues to feed on milk is obviously inexperienced and unskilled in the doctrine of righteousness, which is of conformity to the divine will in purpose, thought, and action. For he is a mere infant, not able to talk yet. But solid food is for full-grown men, for those whose senses and mental faculties are trained by practice to discriminate and distinguish between what is morally good and noble and what is evil, in contrary either to divine or, or, or human law. Therefore, verse 1 of 6, let us go on and get past the elementary stage in the teaching and doctrines didache, of Christ, advancing steadily toward the completeness and perfection that belongs to spiritual maturity. Let us not again be laying the foundation of repentance and abandonment of dead works and of the faith by which you turn to God with teachings about purifying, laying out of hands, the resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment and punishment. These are all matters of which you have been fully aware long, long ago. So he's, I mean, it's kind of a rebuke. It's clearly a rebuke. He's saying, you're all little children who still need make milk, and you keep just drinking milk. You're not moving forward in any way. You're not maturing in any way. Part of being able to eat solid food in verse 14 is for full-grown men. Sounds like Ephesians 4, right? We're growing up into the full stature of the man of Jesus, his maturity, he's the standard. Solid food is for a full-grown man, for those whose senses and mental faculties are trained by practice. Again, there's this, you can't just have head knowledge. You have to be walking it out, living this truth out, living the principles of our faith out, knowing what they are. So let's go on past this elementary stage in the teaching. And, and the things he lists here, so many people are like, but I don't know. Like, we, we keep preaching about repentance. I'm telling you, we should be well beyond repentance. The fact is, we're not. <laughs> in in the, the local church, even in our community, which we're, we're pressing towards something, we're not past repentance. Understanding as a corporate body that we need to repent. <laughs> As one family, guaranteed there are people in this church family who do not fully understand repentance or feel conviction for things they need to repent for. And because of that, we preach repentance. The writer of Hebrews is saying, you should be well past this, where everybody's in unity and understanding about repentance, and it's happening naturally because you've been trained by it. You've practiced it. You've lived it out. The church has abandoned repentance, and so then we have all these wonky other things from our culture, from uh, cultural Christianity that are anti-repentance. So then we have to go back and deal with the fact that Scripture teaches repentance. 
and that it's not a bad thing or a negative thing. Well, that's immaturity. That's immaturity. Are we growing into maturity as a body? Yes. Are we mature yet? No. No, and that requires each one of us growing in these areas. Repentance and abandonment of dead works and of the faith by which we turn to God. Dead works and the faith is talking about these works mentality where we're trying to earn our salvation instead of by faith we've been saved. I feel like I had to talk, we've had to talk about that. I've had myself need to hear that for 10 years. That's sad that I haven't been able. I mean, right now I'm past it because I got delivered from a works mentality two months ago, three months ago, whenever it was. And my mind is cleared. Finally, I thought it was this wrestle with my flesh for 10 years. Come to find out there was a spirit there, <laughs> an unclean spirit, with this constant thought in my head that I have to work and work and work and work and strive and strive and strive. And it was so coated with this religious garb that it deceived me. I thought I was doing what was needing to be done. But now I'm tasting freedom and I'm past that. Oh, yeah, no, you don't need works. Works come from a place of rest. So, that, you know, these are the, the realities. It's not that we stop working, but again, do, can we just stop preaching about it and move forward? Are we all there as a community? I don't think so. Because we're not just moving on as individuals. We're moving on as one full body, one family here, which requires that every person in this family grasp these things that were of, in unity of the faith, these areas, and in that way we can then move forward. So there's this requirement on each one of us to deal with the stuff inside <laughs> and to grow into maturity so we can get past these things and actually do some of the greater things that Jesus has called us to do as a church family. And this happens in community. These things start to kind of come to the surface at being part of a family. You start to realize, wow, Oh, through that person's testimony, wow, I'm realizing I deal with works mentality. I have a works mindset. I'm still kind of trying to figure out my salvation through works. Hey, God, if I do this, will you do this? Please, I beg you, I will do everything if you just do this. It's works. It's not how it works. It's not how it works. That's dead works. Trying to bargain with God. Trying to say, oh, when, you're, uh, when we're upset because God's not doing something, we say, well, I've done everything you've asked of me. God works. That stems from that place of works in us that's still trying to earn God's favor, earn God's blessing. Hey, I deserve this. I, I would very highly caution ever saying that you deserve something before the throne of God. 
We deserve hell. That's what we deserve, okay? We're covered in the blood. It's by grace we've been saved. We don't deserve anything, which makes us, I don't know about you, that reality in me makes this my heart overflow with thanksgiving and joy. Because <laughs> then everything that comes my way is like, wow, I don't deserve this. It is a tremendous blessing. I don't deserve the blood of the lamb. I don't deserve eternal life. I don't deserve his grace and his mercy every day. I don't deserve his love that he's so lavishly pouring out on me every day. I don't deserve it, and yet this is who my God is. Whoo! That brings some great joy. Works mentality, the root of works in us says, well, God, I deserve it, and you're mean if you don't give it to me. You're not a good God if you don't do this for me. That's works. And that's immaturity. We must move past these things into mature faith, into maturity as believers where we actually, uh, so much of that is actually understanding the teaching, understanding what was taught to the early church and why what the whole purpose was, because that was when the church first came into the earth, right? It's bam, Acts 2, 3,000 people added to their number, and then they start putting things in order. Well, why did they do that? Why did they have the order that they had? Why were they teaching the things that they were teaching? And why have we not taught any of those things in the church? We're doing all these random things just kind of grasping at it, trying to get mature. There's a solid foundation. There was clarity in the early church, and that's, we have access to that. That is what we were saved into, this reality. And it's in the church family, and we must understand the teaching so that we can walk it out with one another. So much of the New Testament, like we've said, like I've said many times even just on this Sunday, is all about how we treat one another. If you look at Galatians 6, the passage that I brought up quickly at the end of service last week, and in a part of Galatians 5, I'll start with 5. And, and this is Paul writing to the church in Galatia, and they were having a big struggle over circumcision, right? Do you remember? He's like, who has come in? Basically, why are you going back to dead works? Who told you you needed to be circumcised again? So this is an immature church. It's a baby, baby church, and he's having to relay this foundation. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Don't be bound again by this yoke of slavery, which is works, dead works. And he says in verse 13, For you, brethren, were called to freedom. Don't let your freedom be an incentive to your flesh and an opportunity or excuse, but through love you should serve one another. For the whole law is compiled within one precept. precept. The whole law. Do you know how many pages in the Old Testament was the law? There was a lot of law there that they had to memorize and repeat over and over again. And Paul, in this revelation that he got, he said the whole law 
is compiled into one precept, the root of it all, the foundation of it all. You shall love your neighbor as you do yourself. One another. And then he says, but if you bite and devour one another in strife, be careful that you and your fellowship are not consumed by one another. All the entirety of the law. Do you remember when Jesus was talking to the person who questioned him? I can't remember if it was a Pharisee or a Sadducee, whichever one of them. And he said the whole law can be summed up into two things, which are, in the first place, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes on to explain to this man who, who asked, who is my neighbor? Because he's just trying to, you know, be a little, I don't know. The way I read that, I'm like, that guy's just trying to be annoying in particular. And like, well, tell me who my neighbor is then. And Jesus says, basically, love your enemies. And that's what all the religious people pass by the enemy. Love your neighbor as yourself. But that's also just, do you see in those two commandments that sum up the entirety of the law? are love and love. Love God in first place with every fiber of your being, which looks like something, which looks like something. You'll be able to tell if someone loves the Lord your, their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not lip service. You'll tell by their lives. Jesus is the example, right? Do you think anyone could have seen Jesus in his life and what he was dedicated to every hour of his day that they would question that he loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength? Absolutely not. His in, the entirety of his life was given to one mission and purpose Every hour of every day, it was clear. You could see it. In the same way for us, it, it can't be lip service. You're saying, oh, I, or I'm saying I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I sit at home and do nothing all week. I'm sorry, that's something sp speaking louder than my words. Because <laughs> when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, You'll be obeying him. That's what John 15 says. To love him is to obey him. We display our love to him through our obedience. It looks like something. It looks like some action. If I was telling Tom every day that I loved him and did nothing to show him that and just kind of ignored him all day, but, oh, but babe, I love you. You're the best, but then I just ignore him all the, t all the time. Would he think that I actually loved him? Is love words? Absolutely not. It's an action. And in, with God, he says it's our obedience to him. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, looking like something, and loving your neighbor as yourself. When we love God, do you remember in 1 John? Where John's, again, he, that's a tough book there. He's talking about the love of God. But he says, if you say you love God and what? Hate your brother, your love for God means nothing. Because how can you say you love God who you can't see 
when you can't love your brother who's right in front of you? Ding, ding, ding. It looks like something to love one another, to serve one another. That's what he says here. Serve, you should, through love, you should serve one another. A little self-evaluation for each of us, myself included. How much am I serving those around me? How and when and where and what? Specifics. And I'm like, oh yeah, I serve people. Well, what does that look like? Am I serving those around me? Am I giving of my time and my energy and my house and my food and my finances and my love and my listening ear and my attention to those around me? How am I serving? How am I loving those around me? Because if I love God, I will love people. They're not separated. Oh, no, I just love God. People are just too hard. I'm sorry, that's not how it works. You love God, let him love you so that you can love him and love people. If you have a struggle with loving people, it's probably my answer to that, and I believe is the biblical answer, you need to receive the love of God. Receive it for yourself because it will overflow. Don't just strive for it because that won't last very long. He's a never-ending source and he loves us very much. We receive his love. We can love him. We can do the commandments that sum up the entire law. That looks like something. I can love him with my entire being, saying yes to him no matter where he calls me, no matter what the cost, no matter what the suffering, no matter how hard it might be or how hard it might look, I can love him because he's loved me. So I can say yes. And then I can love people no matter how hard, <laughs> no matter how difficult, no matter how challenging, because I see through a different lens his lens of love, and I'm fulfilling the entirety of the law by loving. Now, if I'm not part of community, how are you going to love? Who are you going to love? How are you going to serve people? How are you going to learn to love your brother if you're never in contact with your brother? You can't even obey him because you're not even obeying the first step to fellowship with one another. Then you can love one another and grow in love with one another through that relationship. It takes time. It takes time. And then finishing here with Galatians 6, he goes on. I mean, he just, at the end of 5, he's talking about the, the fruit of the, the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And then he goes on to say in 6 verse 2, and I read this last week, bear one another's burdens and troublesome moral faults. And in this way, fulfill and observe perfectly the law of Christ and complete what is lacking in your obedience. Okay, again, talking about the fullness of the law. That's a pretty big statement. And how is he saying to do this? Bear one another's burdens. What? That's a lot easier than all the law in the Old Testament. <laughs> Thank you, God, for making it a little more simple, but for some reason, we still don't do it. <laughs> we still ignore the one thing. 
the one precept that sums up everything else. Loving one another, bearing one another's burdens. It says, bear one another's burdens and moral faults. That's a hard one for us because, of course, I'm perfect. So if you have some imperfections, it's really hard. Rubs me the wrong way. I only associate with perfect people like me. <laughs> it's kind of how we act, though. Someone has a moral fault, and it's like, mm, 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 you're way worse than I am. Bear with one another's burdens and moral faults. In this way, fulfill and observe perfectly the law of Christ and complete what's lacking in your obedience to it. That's simple. It can be, it requires time, it can require effort, it can require money, it can require whatever, but that's simple. I, I can perfectly fulfill the law by bearing my brother and sister's burdens. If anyone thinks he's somebody too important to shoulder another's load when he's nobody, that's Paul, right? He's just cutting a sword. When he's nobody of superiority except in his own estimation, he deceives and deludes and cheats himself. Basically, you're, you're being stolen from because you're, you think you're too good, or we think we're too good for people. And that is displayed when we're not bearing with one another's burdens. If I say, oh, no, I love the Lord, and I'm good, and da-da-da, but I have no contact with people, and I just, you know, I'm good. I don't really want to do the relationship thing. I just I want to do my own thing with God. You're cheating yourself. You're deceiving yourself, and you're deluding yourself. It's not Christianity. If you want to do that, it's not Christianity. <laughs> and it's not, it, if, if we can get rid of the works mindset of like me mustering up all I can do to make these things happen and just realize this should overflow from the spirit of God inside of me from receiving his love, it bubbles over. Then we start saying, oh, let me just receive his love because he does it in me. He's the source. I don't have to work this thing up. He's the source. And this is what he delights to do. So let me step out of the way, receive his love, and it overflows. It will naturally happen. If you're not walking in this, you might need to go back and receive the Father's love some more. Realize how much he loves you, what his love is like. And then it says, but let every person carefully scrutinize and examine his own conduct, his own work, and he can then have personal satisfaction and joy of doing something commendable in itself alone without resorting to boastful comparison with his neighbor. So again, this is just kind of the conclusion of that saying, you're not doing these things. I'm not bearing my, uh, my brother or sister's burdens so I can say, well, I'm awesome. So I can just tell everybody about it and say, I'm just the greatest person alive, and I'm better than you. That's right. Comparison, boastful comparison with your neighbor. So I'm not doing this so that I can just shine and be the center of attention so that everyone realizes that I'm the best Christian there ever was. No, I'm doing this if it's out of the love of the Father, 
It's going to bubble over. It's going to be natural, and you won't have to show off to anybody. You're like the word that Pastor Tom brought several weeks ago that just was like soared right in the heart. So good that the, the parable that Jesus gave, and at the end they said, he said, you should just come in and say, we're just your worthy servants. We've just only done what you've asked us to do. Again, the mindset's not, I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. Let me get to heaven. Give me my crown because I did so much for you. <laughs> That's just not going to be how you think when you see the king of all kings, the worthy one that we've been giving our lives to, we're going to be like, oh, Lord Jesus, I, 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 sh- I wanted to do more. I should have done more. Oh, my gosh, you're so worthy. You're so worthy. Or, or if we did everything that he commanded us to do, say, well, I only did what you asked me to do. You're worthy. You're worthy of that. I'm not expecting to get paid for my work for him because he's worthy. It's a delight and it's a privilege. It's a shift from the works mindset. And this is the, not unfortunately, we are where we are. And I thank God for every person in this community, even where I am at myself in my maturity. But we do have to move forward. We can't get stuck in this foundation of dead works and continuing to strive and persuade and think that we deserve something before God. And that even for someone with a works mindset to even hear that hits them like, oh, this is really negative. When you don't have a works mindset, you think, yeah, I don't deserve anything. He's worthy. I'll give my life a hundred million times over because he's worthy. And it's not because of what I'm striving to do. It's his love in me that's bubbling over, and it's causing me to want to serve people. It's causing me to want to love people, to give of my time and energy and finances and resources to bless people. This is maturity. It's a pretty basic, basic, basic thing that we must grow in as a community. I must grow in it. We all must grow in it. And and the invitation is here that we could move forward together because, you know, we were meeting with Phil and Sue the other day, and we want to take authority over some spiritual principalities. I mean, that's, that's what gets me amped, some of those things. Like, yes, let's take back the land. We won't be able to do that if we're not loving one another. The basics of the basics, if we're still in a works mindset, if we're still loner Christians, if we're still avoiding relationship, if we're still thinking we're better than everyone or worse than everybody or whatever the thought is. There's land to take back. There's victory to be had, but it looks like something. And it looks like something in our lives. And there's invitation today to allow God to shift some of those things. I mean, it might be kicking out some unclean stuff like we learned last weekend. It might be clearing out all these liars that are lying to us and stealing from us. 
and maybe you'll just kick them out. Like I kicked out a works mentality and was like, whoa, I'm free. I wrestled with this thing since I was probably before 18, but when I realized I had it, it was 18. 18 years old, I'm 35 in February. That's a long time to realize I didn't have to and that was the wrong foundation. We might need to just clear some stuff out, agree with truth, and walk in a new level of maturity, which will be a new level of authority. Oh, that sounds good. A new level of maturity brings a new level of authority, and that comes through humility, just like Jesus. He went to the lowest place, serving and loving people, and because of that, Philippians 2 says what? He was brought to the highest place. Because he went to the lowest place, he was then placed in the highest place with the name that's above every other name. Because of his humility, he was given the highest authority we too must follow his example. Our maturity, everything, will be bearing fruit out of humility, loving one another, serving one another, in relationship with one another. That will display your maturity as a believer. That you don't run from community, you don't run from people, we're not avoiding one another, we're connecting, we're going deep, beyond the surface, and I'm not scared, to let you see the deeper parts in my being, my heart, my mess-ups, my failures, my good, bad, and ugly, that we each get to that point where we're in relationship. That's maturity, loving one another, serving one another. So I just want to encourage everybody as we go on through our week, this is what we want to mature. This is the word for this year. The church, God is maturing his church. And it looks like something. It looks like something. It looks like something in our lives. It will look like something in our community, in our region. It looks like something. If we want to have unity with the churches, we have to have unity with one another. (laughs) The only way we can have unity with one another is if you know me and I know you. Deeper than what's your favorite color. (laughs) Deeper than what do you do for work deeper. Amen? All right, well, let's pray. Father, we love you so much. You're a good father. And Lord, I just thank you that you are doing this work in us. You've given us this word for this year, and we do believe that you're bringing us into maturity. So I pray for this church family that you would pour into each person greater measure of your love God, that just causes us to overflow, that any place where there's a works mindset or we've built a foundation of works, a paradigm of works, we've agreed with a lie that's works, that it would be exposed and broken, we'd be set free from it, that we could move forward in faith, in power, demonstration of your spirit in this season that we're living in, in this region that we're living in, and not be confined anymore by lies, not be held back anymore by lies, but truly stepping into freedom. Bring us into maturity. I welcome it in my life. 
We welcome it in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships. I pray that there would even, this would just spur us on to good works to one another, serving one another, loving one another, bearing with one another's burdens, and so fulfilling the full law. We love you, Lord. You're so good. Thank you for doing this in us and through us that we could shine your glory in the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.